Good to be here this morning. Good to see all your faces. It's really great to be together. My head feels like a bell that has been hit. <laughs> Having walked into that toilet door this morning, so ridiculous. But we'll see. We'll see how we get on this morning, shall we? <laughs> okay, a little word about what's happening this evening. Um, I don't know if you read the news sheet. I've heard that some people do read those sometimes. But please, please read those. At the bottom of the first page, you'll see tonight... We're going to be doing something, well, I'm going to be preaching through uh, Joshua chapter 2, but the way of preaching is going to be what we call a first-person narrative. That's when the, the preacher assumes a character from the story. And it's hopefully a way to gain a creative, uh, the creative means to encounter biblical truth and be changed by it. So that's what I'm going to be doing this morning. If, if you don't like it, so what? If, if it's just a handful of people um, are encouraged by it and are confronted and filled with biblical truth, then that's great. But we'll see, we'll see how it goes. So you're, you're welcome to come along this evening for that one. But this morning is our second installment in our series called The Giver of Life. We're exploring the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, basically asking the question, well, how does the Holy Spirit show up in our lives? How does the Holy Spirit work? How does the Spirit manifest His ministry within our lives and in our communities, our Christian communities and in our everyday lives? How does the Spirit show up? How does the Holy Spirit work? Now, this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So you can grab those Bibles, open them up. If you've got your Bibles with you, Galatians 5, you want to grab those pew Bibles, you can grab those. It's going to be page 1173, 1173, or if you get it open on your phone, that is great too. That's good. Galatians chapter 5. Now, earlier this week, on Wednesday evening, we did what we always do on a Wednesday as a family. And what we try and do is get our broader family together. So it's me, my wife Quincy, our two kids, Jude and Rosie. We get together with my mum and dad and with my brother and his wife and their new baby little girl. And uh, we've done this for ages. We've tried to stay connected as a family and eating together once a week. Well, might only be an hour and a half, but it's really worthwhile. And we just stay in touch with one another. And particularly as Quincy's family is 6,000 miles away, this just kind of this just kind of helps us a little bit navigate every everyday life. Now, now this is the first time we'd been together with the new addition to my family. My brother and his wife had baby Ivy just after Christmas, and we've got to see her and hold her and and get to know her just a little bit. But this was the first Wednesday that we were all together, and we heard the car arrive. So my two little kids, so excited to see their new cousin, ran to the door, and my brother walked through the door, and he looked absolutely dreadful. He looked like he hadn't slept in about three days. And will you look like a zombie? And and I, I don't know why I relish this moment. I, I really shouldn't. But I, I just had all, all of those times in my head when he had said to me, James, kids can't be that bad. You can't be that tired. Well, I, I am, Will. I'm, I'm dying. No, no, you can't be that tired. And I just looked at him when he walked through the door and just like, ha ha, you, you know what it's like now. And the whole evening, you know, over dinner, he's sitting there like that. He's, He's falling asleep, and and maybe you know what that's maybe you know what that's like. But but you see what's going on in his life is that he's had this shift in identity. His world's been turned upside down, and he is a dad. He's a dad now. He's a dad, and and now he is learning 
to be the dad that he already is. And then it's hard. It's frustrating. It's a winding road. You don't get sleep. Some bits are great. He's really happy. He would never change it. But he's learning to become the dad that he now is. And he's dealing with that. Now, that is true across life. You know, when we experience a massive life change, you know, whether we reach retirement or it's a new job or it's getting married or, 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 or a big change in life, we might know what, not know what we're doing when we enter that new situation. When our identities are shifted and changed, when we experience something new, we might not know how to, how to live that out. We might know what to do, but we learn and we grow. We grow into who we now are. That is what the Christian life is all about. The Christian life is all about us having an identity changed. We, we, we read this so often in Scripture. You are now in Christ. To know Jesus means that you now personally have, uh, have a relationship with God because you are united to Jesus Christ. To be a Christian means that you are now a son or a daughter of God. To be a Christian means that you are regenerated, you are justified, you are made righteous in God's sight. It's a fundamental change of who you are. But then you spend the rest of your life learning to become what you've already been declared to be. Now, now let's be real for a second, because that, that sound, that's a nice little soundbite statement there, isn't it? Learning to become what you've already been declared to be. It sounds neat. It, it sounds straight edge. It, it sounds simple. It sounds, well, oh, I just learned to be the Christian that I already am. I learned to live into my union with Jesus Christ. But if we're real, and if we're honest, we know it's not quite that neat, is it? I mean, there's no point coming to church and not being honest. There's no point coming here and not being real. We know that living into the Christ existence that we are a part of and that we have had declared over us, that's messy. That, that, that can be painful. That can feel like an all-out attack or an offense at everything that you had planned and wanted to do. Being a Christian means that we fall over. Being a Christian and living into this Christ identity, sometimes we'll feel dirty. Sometimes we experience victories, great. Sometimes there's wins. Sometimes there's progress. Sometimes we grow quick, quickly. Sometimes there's seasons where we feel like we're figuring out. And there's other seasons where this is just really, really hard. Living into the existence that is already ours. Becoming who we've already been declared to be. Now, now, while that process might be messy, and we know that we can be real, while we know this can be hard, there are victories, there are stumbles, there's pain, there's grazed knees, it's a winding journey, it's not as straight as we would like it to be. What we're told in the Bible is that this process of growing into this image of Christ, growing into this Christ existence, this Christ identity that we have, is encouraged, it's equipped, it's enabled by the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this morning series. And what we find is that the Holy Spirit brings about that holiness within us. He's going to encourage it. He's going to push us in that direction. He's going to equip us. He's going to enable us to live into this existence that has been declared over us. Whether we feel like this existence is ours or not, He's going to push us in that direction. Now, I've got a question. What's, 
what's that big fancy theological word we use for this growth in holiness? Begins with an S. Sanctification, great. Sanctification, growing in holiness. Now you've learned a big fancy theological word. Sanctification, made up of two Latin words. Sanctus, to be holy. Fakari, I think you pronounce it Fakari, but to be made. So to be made holy. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, a big question throughout this series has been, how does the Holy Spirit work? Let's modify that a little bit for our purposes this morning. How does the Holy Spirit work as the sanctifier? How does the Holy Spirit work as the one who brings about holiness? How does the Holy Spirit work in order to bring about the image of Christ more and more in our lives, the way we think, the way we speak, the way we act. How does the Holy Spirit do that? Now, what we're going to find in Galatians 5, so this is verse 16 right down to the end of the chapter in 26, what we're going to find is four ways that the Holy Spirit works as a sanctifying person in our lives. And let's throw those four up there. We're going to fill in the blanks as we go. The Holy Spirit fights, the Holy Spirit highlights, the Holy Spirit produces, the Holy Spirit in power. So we're going to fill in the blanks there from Galatians chapter 5, answering the question, how does the Holy Spirit work as a sanctifier in our lives? So let's start moving through the first couple of verses here in Galatians. But I say, now this is Paul writing, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these, now look at this, this is key, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you always that you want to do. Now have a look right here. Let's just do a tiny little bit of homework on Galatians, because we need to understand that. Now, now Galatia is going to be the western part of modern-day Turkey. And Paul has obviously been to visit them or talked with them at some point. And, and this message of the gospel has been delivered to them. They, they know what it means to be in Christ. They know what it means to know the Holy Spirit's work of opening their eyes to the truth of the cross, the truth of the resurrection. They get that. But what seems to have happened to the Galatians is somebody has wormed their way into the community and told them a different gospel. Something along the lines of... Um, yeah, this, this free gift of grace, well, you can only get that if you obey these laws. So then what's happened is the whole message has been twisted. You know, the Christian message logic has been flipped on its head. It's turned into, you do this, you do this, you do this, and then you'll be accepted by God. And then Paul seems to write back to them and say, no, it, I never said that to you in the first place. What I said to you was, was that this salvation you can have from Jesus Christ, that this, re, re, this union with Jesus, this reconciliation with the Father, you can only have that through his righteousness, not your own. So Paul says, let's get the logic straight. You are in Christ. Then you live into that existence. It's not live into that existence so that you might get there one day. It's, you are. You are a child of God. He says it in chapter 4. So he wants to try and set this straight. But in doing that, here's what Paul is showing us in this first couple of verses. He's saying, look, when you are filled with the Spirit, when you become a Christian, when the Spirit claims you, when the Spirit indwells you, when the Spirit opens your eyes to the truth of the gospel, he doesn't do away with the sin nature. 
He doesn't do away with that bit of you that says, I want to go my own way. He doesn't do away with that bit of you that says, I'm going to do whatever I want because I want to do it. He doesn't do away with that bit of you that we call the flesh. Now, if we're being really real, we know that to be true. You you, you can be called a Christian. You know you're a Christian. You know you believe. But there's bits of you that you're just like, there's bits of me that want to do the direct opposite of the nature of Christ in me. But here's what's key, what Paul is saying right here. There's something we don't think about very much here. But the Holy Spirit comes in, the Holy Spirit indwells us, causes us to understand the gospel, and the Holy Spirit begins a fight that was never there before. Here's our first point as how the Holy Spirit sanctifies. The Holy Spirit fights. The Spirit causes a fight within us that wasn't there before. And that was true. We can talk about the Christian life of growing in peace, growing in serenity, uh, growing in contentment. But there is an element to the Christian life where a war is waged that didn't exist before. A war is fired up, a war, a fight, a wrestle is commenced that didn't happen before. I think, think about in these terms, um, uh, getting married, you know, I always think about my bachelor life before I was married. I, I just did whatever I wanted. I, I, if I wanted to get on a plane and go somewhere on a mission trip, so I would do it. I'll spend my money however I want. I'll spend my time. I'll go to bed when I want, get up when I want. I'll just do whatever I want. Massive shock to the system when I get married. I'm not going to change that for the world. Love my wife to pieces. But all of a sudden, I can't do what I want to do anymore. So I get married. What happens? A wrestle, a fight within me begins that was never actually there before. But, but here's key. Here's key to what Paul is saying. We want to bring this down to earth a little bit for us. The presence of the Holy Spirit, that is our salvation, presence, confirmation of that, is proven by the reality of this fight. Now, I know sometimes we can get really caught up on ourselves. Oh, I can't believe I thought that thought. I can't believe I did that thing. I can't believe this. God's not going to love me now. No, no, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is it confirmed by your perfection? The presence of the Holy Spirit is confirmed by the reality of a fight. Sometimes that feels like a full-on fight and you've got energy for it. Sometimes it feels like an ember. Sometimes it's just a want to want to. But the presence of the Holy Spirit, his sanctifying work is confirmed by the fact that there is a botheredness about sin. That's what Paul seems to be saying here, right? Not the presence of perfection. We aim for that. We shoot for it. We'd love to have it. We will get it one day. But right now, it's the presence of that wrestle, the presence of that fight. So, so what does that look like? Well, m- most often when I'm dealing, uh, when, I'm, when I'm chatting with people about some of their destructive patterns in life that, they, that, that, that have consequences on their lives and those around them, most often what I'm looking for is not an immediate I'm going to get over this. I'm going to fight this. I'm done with this. What do I look for? I'm always looking for the presence of care, the presence of being bothered. I find one of some of the most chilling conversations I've ever had was with a couple of individuals who, who had such a destructive pattern of behavior or, or something very real that would just kind of shatter the lives of their loved ones around them. 
and just chat through with them on that one. And be, do, do, do you care about this? What's the next statement? Well, it's their fault. I blame them for that. It's full of excuses and trying to justify their sin that is hurting themselves and everyone else. That bothers me. That bothers me. I think that's a scary place to be because there's just this kind of shrugging of shoulders at the reality of sin. But the most encouraging ones, most encouraging conversations, are when people hurt about the reality of sin. It may just be an ember. It may just be a slight kind of, oh, I wish I could do away with this. But that is the work of the Holy Spirit, causing us to see and showing us the reality of that sin of our life. Not the present of perfection, but the presence of that fight. Now, now we kind of frame it in terms of the, the sins with massive consequences, don't we? might say like, uh, you, you know, the sins that have, they, they shatter everyone else's lives. But, but what about the, the things that we can do that are just as destructive but don't quite have far-reaching consequences? What, what about the backstabbing? You know, what about the uh, unloving comments? The dangerous thing is, is when you see that and when you know it and it's very, very present and it's obvious to you, and you're not bothered by it. But here's a word of encouragement for those that are. Those that see those things in your life you just want to get away from. And even if it's just a small ember of care, that's the sign of the Holy Spirit at work. That's what Paul is saying. The Holy Spirit ignites a fight within us that wasn't there before. But he keeps going. Let's read verse 18. There's a couple of more points that Paul wants to show us. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, this is the case he's been making to the Galatians all the way along. Look, your salvation isn't grounded in your ability to keep the law. Your salvation is grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Then what Paul does is he unleashes this list of some really, really destructive things. And we're going to assume this list from verse 19 onwards is either going on in the church in Galatia or it's something that's going on in society. And he's saying, right, you're free in Christ, but it doesn't mean you can go and live like this. Look at this giant list he gives us. Verse 19. And now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things, and things the like, like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now Paul isn't saying... If one of these things has been present within your Christian life, the kingdom isn't yours. I think what Paul is saying right here is to say, look, you're in Christ. The, The Spirit has claimed you. You have been sealed by the Spirit. And the way you're going to live, your ultimate desire, is not going to be to chase after these things. That's what Paul is saying right here. Your ultimate desire, the, the fruit within your life, the evidence of the work of the Spirit, is going to be that these things, this list, isn't your ultimate pursuit in your life. That's the evidence of what's going on. So, he's giving us our second point right here. This is the work of the Spirit at play. The Spirit highlights The Spirit exposes our sin nature. We could say the Spirit exposes the work of the flesh within us. What does this look like? What does this look like? Well, this is, you know, when when you can be you can be listening to a sermon, you can be in a community group study, you can be listening to 
uh, a sermon in your car. You can be chatting with one of your friends about a passage. You could be reading the Bible at home. But when you're reading God's Word and all of a sudden you stop in your tracks and you realize, ah, God's Word is exposing something within me. God's Word is showing me there's something in my life I need to get rid of. God's Word is showing me that I need to exhibit my Christ existence in this area. So, so it might be you're reading God's Word and you, you read something about patience. You're like, I have not been patient and I need to fight for patience. Something about loving your enemy, loving your neighbor, loving the unlovable. I haven't been loving and I need to be loving. That's when the Holy Spirit stops us in our tracks through God's Word and says, right, I'm exposing that in your life. Let me illustrate it like this. Um, me and Jude went to watch Cars 3 uh, late last year. He, he was Lightning McQueen crazy at that point. It's now Avengers. But Lightning McQueen crazy. And so at the beginning of the week, I said, Jude, on Saturday, we are going to go see Cars 3. And so he's buzzing at that point, cannot think about anything else. So we jump in the car on Saturday, we drive into town, he's just off the charts, crazy excited to see Lightning McQueen. So we park up, it's a busy day, we park up way up at the end of the car park, there's quite a ways to go to get to the cinema. So I get him out of his seat, I'm just locking the car, where's Jude? And he's just bolted as fast as he can towards the cinema front door. But we're in the middle of a Saturday car park in Bury St. Edmunds. So it's crazy. So completely out of his mind, he's just running in front of cars. And, I'm, and so what do I do? I give my, I guess, teacher voice, I don't know, my, my voice where you use your diaphragm, and I shout at the top of my lungs, Jude, stop! And he just, he hears the tone, he knows I'm in business. So he stops in his tracks and just kind of backpedals and then leans against the car. So, so he, he recognized my voice. He says, right, where, where I'm going, Dad knows something that I don't. And I'm calling out for his good. I don't want him to hurt himself. And I'm saying, Jude, come back. This is how the Spirit, Spirit is going to work through the Word. He's going to cry out into our hearts through God's Word and say, here, you need to stop. But I think there's something really, really important within this passage that we sometimes miss. And we see it through so much of the Scriptures. And it's going to sound really, really simple. But if this is the case, And you've got to hear me here. Change is possible. Change is possible. That sounds really simple. You might be saying, well, of course, we know the gospel. The Christian message means that change is possible in our lives. We know that. Well, let's just stop and think about this for a second. Because how many times do we find ourselves guilty of this mentality of fatalism? Where we say, you know, it's just the way I am. Just the way I was raised. Or you know what he's like, or you know what she's like. She's been like that for decades. Everybody knows what they're like. But this passage, and the truth of sanctification, doesn't like let thinking like that stand. It doesn't allow comments like that, cultures and climates like that to stand. Sanctification means that change is possible. So maybe that's a massive encouragement for some of you who are struggling But it's certainly encouragement for us as a church community to talk in terms of change being possible. I think so often people don't change. It's because the Christians around them communicate to them that change isn't possible. There's so many people around us at times who can say, well, you know what they're like, you know what I'm like, this is what I'm like. So often we're communicating to one another that change isn't possible. So what are we going to expect? Change is possible. This is what Paul is saying. Let's go through these last couple of points here. We're about to read a famous 
list in the New Testament. We've already been there this morning. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, some of us can do this by heart, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, i.e., Everybody wants this in their lives. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and its desires. I think it's really interesting right here. We need to see this. Paul describes these character traits, or this character, this fruit, singular, this character, as being fruit. Notice, he doesn't say, you've got works of the flesh, and then you've got works of the Spirit. And he doesn't say, you've got fruit of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. What does he say? Works of the flesh and fruit of the Spirit. Why? Why would he use those different terms? Well, I think, I assume here, he's used this word to say works of the flesh because it's all too easy to just give us a bit of permission and 30 seconds and we'll dive into the works of the flesh. You don't have to work very hard for that. That's going to happen. But the fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) that's hard. That's arduous. That's painstaking. That takes seasons. That takes the rain. That takes the wind. It takes the sunshine. It takes the calm days. It takes the stormy days. This is the kind of stuff that requires patience. This is the kind of stuff that takes hard work. But he's framing it in terms of fruit. But notice what he does in verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified their flesh with its passions and its desires. That's a reminder of our Christ existence. He's saying this is the kind of life we're to exhibit. It's the Christ character in us. It's it's him. He typifies this fruit. But why does he say in verse 24, why? Because it is who you are. My professor wrote it like this, and I love this. Jesus does not send the Spirit to the church in order that she might become holy in Jesus' absence. Rather, Jesus sends the Spirit in order that he, through the Spirit, might be present as her holiness. Look at this last sentence. We grow more and more into our Christ existence. But this fruit, that's arduous. That's winding. That's a long process. So here's our third point Paul is making about the Spirit's work in sanctification. Where did it go? There, the Spirit grows Christ's character, Christ's character in us. But Paul's not saying, put off works of the flesh, do away with that kind of stuff, get number one off the throne of your life, and then just carry on. But what does he say? He says, fill that vacuum with Christ's character. This is Colossians language. Put off that and put on the character of Christ. But the big question for us is, what does that look like? What does it look like to put off this kind of stuff and then put on? How does that Spirit's work work out? Let's put it like this. Maybe it's the parent who's just recognizing they've they've been frustrated. They've shouted. They've had a, a temper. They've become impatient with their kids. And then instead of putting that off and then putting on, a patience, because they're growing and they need to understand and because God has been patient with us. Or, or does it mean the, the spouse who suddenly wakes up to the reality, whoops, I haven't engaged with my husband or wife. 
I've just sat back and I haven't invested in them whatsoever. I've just used them. Okay, I'm going to do away with that. And I'm going to be attentive. I'm going to be gentle. And I want to be faithful. What about, what about looking at things on the computer? Think things that are destructive to us. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to put on self-control. And I'm going to fight it with everything that I have. What, what about the backbiting and the backstabbing and the gossip? I don't want to do that anymore. That's a work of the flesh. It is way too gratifying to my flesh. And instead, I'm going to put on love and the character of Jesus Christ. That's what that seems to look. Holiness gets such a bad rap these days. I remember when I first became a Christian. If I'd, if I'd tried to describe a holy person to you, I think I would have said, well, someone who wears a suit uh, to church. They carry a Bible under their arm every day of the week. Um, they get really caught up on what people do on a Sunday, and they're not really that happy, and they're emotionless. I mean, that's probably what I would have said about holiness, just in my infant Christian state. But I read the Bible... And I see the work of sanctification of the Spirit in our lives and the growing of this Christ character within us. That's vibrancy. That's living. That's purpose. That's satisfaction. That's the kind of life that the rest of the world stops in their tracks and says, that's what I want. I want a piece of that. That's what holiness looks like. It's not just the abstaining. It's not just the putting off. Yes, that's necessary. But it is the putting on of the vitality of Jesus Christ. That's living into our Christ existence, growing into it more and more. Hey, Paul's got one more point for us. Last couple of verses in this chapter, 25 and 26. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another or envying one another. Look at verse 26. Paul is basically saying, the exhibition of this fruit, this fruit in your life, is going to have community dynamics to it. There's going to, be, uh, there's going to be an influence on who you interact with. But look again what he does in verse 26. It's grounding it in who we are in Jesus again. How many times does he do this? If we live by the Spirit, i.e., if we are claimed by the Spirit, if we are filled by the Spirit, a.k.a. if we know Jesus Christ, what's the next bit? Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the argument is, live out the fruit of the Spirit, fight for it, grow it, do what you can to make it evident in your life. Why? Because it's who you are. Living out who you are. Now he says, let us. That doesn't sound very forceful in the English. In the original language, this is far more forceful. This is a, you must, you need to, you fight for, you grow into, you do whatever it takes to grow into this holiness of Jesus Christ. This takes our participation. This takes our fighting. This let us is, it's who you are. You don't really have an option. Fight for it. So here's our last point this morning. How does the Holy Spirit sanctify? Well, the Spirit empowers He calls for our participation, our fight, our working at this to exhibit the nature that is already ours in Jesus Christ. But this final little verse here, these couple of verses, it seems like Paul is just saying something very simple to us, to the church in Galatia and to you and me in here this morning. Saying, look, this is who you are. You're in Jesus. He said in chapter 4, you're a child of God. Now live into 
your identity. Learn to become. Fight to become. Push to become. Lean in to become. The reality that is already yours in Christ Jesus. And he's saying right here, don't go back. Live this kind of a life because of who you are. I read a story recently about a a man called Russell Moore. You might have heard heard about him. He's an author in the States. And uh, he writes this beautiful story about adopting two Russian boys. But I think it contributes to the point we're making here. He writes this. "Uh, When my wife Maria and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons, we found that their transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we supposed. We had dressed the boys in the outfits that our parents had bought for them. We nodded nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked into the sunlight to the terror of our two boys. They'd never seen the sun before. They'd never felt the wind. They'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming or the sensation of being carried along in a car down the road. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. I whispered to Sergei, now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what was waiting for you. A home with a mummy and a daddy who love you. Grandparents, great-grandparents, cousins, playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid and they had no other reference point. But it was home. I knew that the boys had acclimated to our home. That they trusted us when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. I knew that there would be, they knew that there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for scraps anymore. This was their new normal. But there's an amazing statement in that story right there, reaching back to the orphanage and not being able to see what is ahead. I think that's the case Paul is making to the Galatians. So often we reach back. So often we reach back to where we have come from and said, that's what I need, that's what I want. And it's all too easy to do so. But Paul's saying, no, no, this is who you are now. Your identity is different. Now let's work to exhibit the character of Jesus Christ in all that we do through the Spirit's work of sanctification in and through us. You know, this whole series is grounded upon the statement, we need more of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many times I hear that. Or do we need more of the Holy Spirit? Well, if the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, causes a fight within us, exposes our sin nature, and grows Christ's character, and calls us to fight with him in this effort, then yeah, we need more of the Holy Spirit, don't we? Hey, let's pray before we sing our last song together. Lord, we're grateful for your word, that it shines into our hearts in a way that nothing else can. Lord, we thank you for Paul's letter to the Galatians and how relevant, how poignant it is for every single one of us. We know the dual nature we have within us. We know what it's like to give in to the works of the flesh. We know what it's like to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. But Lord, we've been reminded this morning that your Holy Spirit is the sanctifying person in our lives. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to push us, to encourage us, to enable us, to draw us 
into lives of that vibrant holiness, into lives that exhibit the identity that is already ours. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to make us what we already are. And we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen.